You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. My name is Jazz, and um, uh, it's the summer, I think. What's the summer? The 21st? It's technically the summer, so we're going to be in the book of Psalms. Um, so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it to Psalm 150. It is the very last psalm in the book of Psalms. Um, Don't be afraid of the table of contents. You'll see a blue Bible in the chair um, in front of you, under the chair in front of you. That's a gift. If you don't have a Bible, take that with you. If you know somebody that doesn't have a Bible, take that with you and give it to them. We want to get the Bible as in many people's hands as we possibly can. So consider that a gift. We'll be in Psalm 150. It'll be about the middle of your Bible. So if you just did this, you'll probably be pretty close um, to Psalm 150. So this summer, like past summers, we want to be in the book of Psalms. So the Psalms are the prayers and the hymns and the songs that um, the, the people of God would have sang in the Old Testament. They still do. We, we sing all kinds of Psalms even today. But This is for us, the summer we want to, instead of name the popular tune that's stuck in your head and you have no idea why in the morning, um, we want to instead be shaped by and molded by these songs instead. So the summer we want to, um, as much as we can, spend time rehearsing the songs that Jesus sung, right? He, He quoted Psalm 22 from the cross. Jesus would have sung these songs, and so we want to, in any way we can, I commend to you, Memorize a psalm this summer. Um, If you want to go big, go long, but there's plenty of short psalms that you can memorize, and we call it portable theology. Many people, when they're about to go meet the Lord, they they want to do what? They want to sing. They want to rehearse things that they know, and through songs, we are taught the ways that um, the Lord wants us to teach us the things of Him, and they're easier to memorize in that way, and by His grace, He gives us a way to do that. Um, So we'll be in Psalm 150. To give you a little bit of an overview, Psalms are located in the middle of the Bible. Don't be afraid of the table of contents. And these are the songs, again, of God's people. Um, The Psalms are quoted more times in the New Testament than any other book. And so the Psalms are extremely important. If you're like me, the Old Testament might be scarier as you're getting into reading the Bible, but I encourage you, it's, it's gives us language, we'll see in a minute. The Psalms teach us how to pray and even what to pray. A lot of times we go into prayer, right, and we're like, I don't even know, I don't even know where to begin. And the Psalms give us language. They're a beautiful expression of anything that we can experience. Um, there's nothing that we can experience as humans that's not expressed in the words of the Psalms. So John Calvin um, puts it this way. I didn't start a timer. Whoops. Um, I won't preach an hour. (laughs) No one will discover in themselves a single feeling that is not reflected in the mirror of the Psalms. All griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, cares, hopes, anxieties, in short, all those tumultuous agitations of the soul are expressed in them. And yet, even though we find all of these uncomfortable and oftentimes gut-wrenching topics in them, the Psalms always cross it with grace. Every time. We see this over and over as we read and meditate on the Psalms. They're always crossed with the grace of God. And I think 
what that means for us is that the Lord knows that we will experience these tumultuous agitations of the soul. And so then he gives us this book to say, here, I want to help you. I want to give you words to express. If you don't know what to pray, just read a psalm as a prayer to the Lord. So we'll be in Psalm 150, the very last psalm um, to, to start out the summer. And what I, hope to, what I hope to do this morning is to show us where we're going. Um, a lot of times we can be stuck in where we're at. And I want to remind you and give you hope for the future. And so the context of Psalm 150, um, the psalms are broken up into five books. So book one is Psalms 1 through 41, book 2, Psalms 42 through 72, 3 is 73 through 89, um, book 4 is 90 through 106, and book 5 is this 107, and then 150 is the very last one. This is the one that wraps up the whole Psalter. I want to start um, our summary here intentionally so that we would see where this book is taking us. Um, there are many different types of psalms. This one's a psalm of praise. We see the psalms of lament, um, psalms of joy, psalms of um, right, discouragement. Um, more than a third of the psalms are devoted to discouragement, lament, and crying out to the Lord in distress. And so I think what, Psalm 150 will help us see where we're going. In no way to minimize all of those things before that I just said, but to help us have hope in what is to come. The Psalm 150 is a grand hallelujah. So each of the four books preceding Psalm, the fifth book ends in some sort of doxology or hallelujah or blessing to the Lord. So I'll, um, I'll read these to you. Psalm 41 ends book one by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Book two wraps up in Psalm 72 by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Book 3 wraps up in Psalm 89 by saying, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And Book 4 wraps up by saying in 106, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all of the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So all the preceding four books end with a doxology. The fifth book ends with a series of doxologies. And so why is that important? Um, again, why is the book of Psalms as a whole, what is the book of Psalms as a whole trying to communicate to us? Well, I want to show you. So the psalm. The Psalms start in Psalm 1 by telling us what a blessed life will look like, how you should live your life, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the word, in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So it lays out what a person who lives by the way that the Lord has made it to be, in this case, is going to live a prosperous life. This is the way you outlive. And then we see the Psalms of lament, followed by this. We saw, see Psalms of distress and crying out to the Lord, sadness, fear, anger, 
confusion. And sprinkled in there are some psalms of joy and praise. But like I said, at least a third of these psalms are devoted to crying out to the Lord and lament. But it ends with five consecutive songs in complete and utter praise to God. Every verse's goal in the last five psalms is aimed directly toward the praise of the Lord. The psalms are trying to show us where we're going. Our mess, it doesn't end here. It doesn't end here. This whole thing ends in praise, joy, and worship of the Lord. And so I want to read to you um, Eugene Peterson, who wrote a book um, called Answering God on the Book of Psalms, and here's what he says. Psalm 150 does not stand alone. Four more hallelujah psalms are inserted in front of it so that it becomes the fifth of five psalms that conclude the Psalter. I'm going to make sure I give you guys the right slides here. These five hallelujah psalms are extraordinarily robust. This means that no matter how much we suffer, no matter how, no matter our doubts, no matter how angry we get, no matter how many times we have asked in desperation how long, prayer develops finally into praise. Everything finds its way to the doorstep of praise. This is not to say that other prayers are inferior to praise, only that all prayer pursued far enough become praise. Don't rush it. It may take years, decades even, before certain prayers arrive at the hallelujahs, at Psalm Psalm 146 through 50, 150. Not every prayer is capped off with praise. In fact, most prayers in, in the Psalter is a true guide or not. But prayer is always reaching toward praise and will finally arrive there. So what is this book trying to teach us? This all ends in praise. Whatever we're experiencing, the distress and the, the lament and all these how long, O Lords, that we experience, they will finally end in praise. And so I want to read Psalm 150. So if you're there, I'm going to read it, and then there's four things that I want us to see from it. Let everything, in the, let everything praise the Lord. If you see a heading, that's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to pray for us. God, we come to your word and we know that you have something for us to hear and be shaped by. Uh, We ask that you now would bless the preaching and listening of your word. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that I want us to see from this this, uh, psalm. And here they are. One, where to praise. Where ought we praise? Why praise? How to praise? And who 
is to praise. So the where of praise, the why of praise, the how of praise, and the who of praise. Verse 1, where are, we, where are we to praise? Praise the Lord, it says. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. In his sanctuary. So you might have a translation that says in his holiness. Um, the, the, the theological significance to this word sanctuary in this psalm is not important, uh, as important as what he's trying to communicate. And what we'll see is that he's just trying to communicate everywhere. Where are you to praise him? Everywhere. Um, but for the sake of, and we know that because it's coupled with the second verse, which will, we'll, or the second part of that verse, which we'll talk about. So in his sanctuary, it would have been a place set apart on earth where the holiness of God dwells, um, right? Priests intercede for, like in the Old Testament, priests intercede for the people, um, and they're the only ones that could approach God's holiness um, in this way. So now, because of Christ, side note, the veil has been torn uh, from top to bottom so that we know who did it, and now the holiness and the sanctuary of God lives in our hearts. And so um, it might be better to ask it this way, or say it this way, praise God in the most intimate parts of your life. The place where it's hardest to praise him. The longings of your soul, maybe for a spouse or a child or a promotion or approval of others, that, that place that you long for the deepest thing in your soul, that's where you ought to praise him first, it says. That is the place where the Lord wants to apply the most amount of grace that will end in praise. One of the questions um, I have asked and I've heard many of you ask is, does the Lord want me to be happy? And we'll get to that, get to that in, the moment, in a moment, but like, he created us for praise. It's why he created us. I want to encourage you that the happiest place that we can be is in the presence of the Lord praising him. And so the, the Westminster Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose? Why did God create people? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Psalm, uh, or excuse me, Isaiah 43 tells us that we were created for praise. It says, the wild beasts in the, will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And this whole book ends with praise. Revelation 5, we're going to be saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So we are created for praise, and if the chief end of man is to enjoy God, and we were created for praise, then the answer to the question, does God even want me to be happy, is a resounding yes in Christ. I want you to be encouraged by that, but I in no way want to imply that we will not experience sadness and trial in this life. We will. I can imagine... I can't imagine being a parent who receives a call that their child was just killed in a shooting. There will be trial in this life. Maybe you're in this room and you're hurting. 
you hear me say that we're going to read and sing a song of praise and you want to duck out and get out, get out of Dodge before it gets crazy, I want to encourage you by no way saying that that's insignificant, but by saying it's going to end in praise. It speaks to you. I don't want to dismiss the fact that you might be in this room and holding back tears because of the trial in front of you, but I pray that this psalm would be an encouragement. It doesn't end there. There is healing in Christ. The places where you are discouraged, weak, and asking yourself, does God even exist? And if he does, does he even want me to experience happiness and joy? This ends in joy and praise. So when the psalmist says to praise God in his sanctuary, um, this could mean a lot of things. Coupled with the latter half of the verse, ultimately it means that in the closest spaces we are to praise the Lord. Like we're, we're doing this morning. We're all gathered in this place, singing songs, uh, which, by the way, set me up great. <laughs> um, all songs that included some sort of praise to the Lord, and even in words. But we're doing it right now. So this is like praise God in his sanctuary, like praise God in his, like, on earth. We're gathered here in an intimate setting, and we're praising the Lord. Good work. We, verse, verse 1, part 1, check. So, we praise God here on earth. Then, we're also to praise God in his mighty heavens. Um, This is more broad, right? So, the heavens is a word that meant to encompass God's glory in all of creation and eternity. Um, So, here's the fun part. There's a worship service happening here right now, but there's a grander and bigger and more exciting and, and perfect worship service happening right now in glory. And they're not separated. All of heaven and earth will declare his praise. We just sang. Psalm 19 tells us that the the heavens declare the glory of of the Lord. And so there's this idea of like it's broad, it's expansive. It's here on earth in his sanctuary and expansive and broad in his heavens. So where are we to praise God? God. Everywhere. That is what the psalmist is trying to get to in the end. Where are we to praise God? In his sanctuary, here, everywhere. There is not a square inch of this life and eternity that should not exist apart from the praise and worship of the Lord, not one. Verse 2. Why are we to praise him? We are to praise him because of who he is and what he has done. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So mighty deeds, um, originally this was likely alluding to the Exodus. Um, God delivered his people from exile into the promised land. On this side of the cross, we know that like his mighty deeds is alluding to the work of Jesus. Um, which the Exodus pointed to. And so we'll get to that. I want to wrap up on that, but real quick, his mighty deeds on this side of the cross means we're going to praise him for the work of Jesus. And so I often meet new people, and one of the questions that I get is, what is your church about? 
what is your church's thing? Um, it's this. This is so important to our church. Every week we meet in gospel communities, and if you're in one, you'll know this. Um, we do that in the fall and spring semesters, and this is what we're trying to get to. Ultimately, all of what we do in smaller groups is we try to get to, what did Jesus do? And if you've been part of a GC, you're familiar with this, but someone shares a sin or something that they're wrestling with, and oftentimes we want to resort to all the good advice that we can think of. Do this. Don't do that. Try this. Try that harder. Um, and what we want to get to is not what you ought do, but what's already done. Mind you, all of the, the good advice that we give each other is probably great. And even now, like, we could stand up here every week and for an hour, hopefully less, where tell you all the things you ought to do. But how long will that really last? Tuesday? Maybe? On a good week? So what is your church about? We love Jesus and all that he's done, and we want, to, want that to go to the nations. Through gathering, through small groups, through Kids Connection, there's no babysitting going on in Kids Connection. We're teaching children the gospel. That is what Jesus has done. Through church planting, all of it for one goal, to see the good news of Jesus, finished work, reach as many people as possible, which we'll see in the last verse. We have good news. Jesus has done everything necessary and because of that, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Praise him for his mighty deeds. What will you, you might say, well, what should we do? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 just gives us the will of God for your life, and it just says, rejoice, right? Praise, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What do you do? Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks in all circumstances. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, the second half of that verse. So not only are we to praise him for what he's done, but also for who he is. Praise him for his perfect, this is a, not an exhaustive list, praise him for his perfect faithfulness when we feel betrayed. Praise him for his unending mercy when we need to be forgiven. Praise him for his steadfast love when we've been hurt by those who say they love us. Praise him for his righteousness, for his holiness, for his justice, for his wisdom. These are just a few things that describe God and who he is, what he is like. So praise him because of what he's done and who he is. Verse 3. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Verse 4. Praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, and if that's not enough, praise him with loud crashing cymbals. How do we praise the Lord? In every way we possibly can. In every way possible. There is some theolog theological di uh, distinction and significance to these different instruments or ways of being and praising, um, that's not what the psalmist is trying to do. He's not trying to start a theological debate. He's saying, the, the psalmist is saying, praise God with everything 
you possibly can and have. Some of these instruments, again, had significant meaning, but no. Praise him with everything. Praise him with the lute and harp. Um, these I would classify as like soft dinner music. Um, or the harp. Oh, I don't play the harp, but it's very toned down, if you will. And then praise him with loud clashing cymbals. There's the harp. I'll sleep to that. There's loud clashing cymbals where you cannot sleep to. <laughs> Praise him with everything. The psalmist is not pressing the importance of the theological significance of these instruments. He wants us to praise him with everything we have. So in membership, we speak of this on, in three main ways. You could do more, but I think these are really helpful. Time, talent, and treasure. How do you spend your time? Does the way you spend your time glorify God and bring praise to him? How do you use your talent? I know there's some bass players in this room. I'm not going to make any contact. Consider this recruiting. (laughs) Do you see an area where God's gifted you and you're just sitting on them, hoping nobody would notice? How do you view your treasure? How do you spend your money? Does it glorify God? Everything you have been given is a gift, and we are to be good stewards of it. If we actually believed that all these things were gifts, we would see them differently, wouldn't we? My parents uh, gifted us with a really nice couch when we first bought our house. And when you know that it's a gift, um, but then you want to sell it because it doesn't fit in your living room, or get used in the basement, um, you kind of see it differently, don't you? Like, this was a gift, and the only way I can possibly think of selling this is if I convince my mom that it will go towards comfort in the future. It's just different. I don't know, I don't know why. I, maybe it's just me, but I don't want to sell something that was a gift or re-gifted and that person find out. We would see our gifts differently. Here's one way um, that we've said this in the past. If you if you're like, well, I don't know if I if I really glorify God with everything I have, fill in the blank. I would love and trust God if whatever goes in the blank is a thing that you actually want to praise and not use as a means to praise and bring glory to God. If I was successful, right? If I had a boyfriend or girlfriend, if I had control of the future, if all the people around me liked me a whole bunch, fill in the blank. We can already see the ways we would praise those things over God, over the God of the universe. Or we would use those things to puff ourselves up and not glorify God in them at all. I would love and trust God if. Friend, we can confess that thing that we fill the blank in with to the Lord and he is just and righteous enough to forgive it. He wants to replace it with the praise of his son. 
Next, we're going to see who is to praise. Um, Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Side note, the word praise in these six verses shows up 13 times in the ESV. So if you're wondering, like, how do you know that this song is about praise? (laughs) This psalm tells you 13 times that it's about praise. Who is to praise? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We just sang it a moment ago. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and let us sing. Praise him. It is the business of every, everything with breath and life to praise the Lord. Psalm 148, um, a couple of psalms before this says, Praise the Lord from the earth, your great sea creatures, and all of the deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy winds, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, bugs even, well, and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Praise the Lord. Let everything praise the Lord. Matthew 21, verse 26, um, Jesus says, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus, or excuse me, the Pharisees saying, do you see what these are saying? Referring to the, to, the, to the people praising him. Yes, he says. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared my praise? So when a baby cries in here, in just a moment probably, um, that's praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. It is not an annoyance to me. It is praiseworthy to the Lord. um, It is the business of everything that has breath to praise the Lord. There's two things that I want to pull from this verse um, and kind of wrap up on this. So one is evidently the psalmist is longing for everyone to praise God and everything. And so what I want to um, what I want to pose here is that this is about mission. Connection Church longs to be a people on mission together. And if you're in this room and you're not someone who would call themselves a believer, in many ways we're here because of you. And, and we don't want to dismiss how crazy this looks. A bunch of people like get together and sing out loud. Was this a soccer game? Or is there a birthday party going on? Why is everybody singing? I'm so glad you're here. Um, C.S. Lewis who puts this very well in his reflection on the Psalms, um, talks about when he was first getting to know the Lord and what this looked like. And I hope that encourages you, but here's what it says. When I first began to draw near, and be- near to belief in God and, every- and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demands it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue. 
intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise still more the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify and demand. Who gratify that demand. Thus a picture at once ludicrous and horrible, both of God and of his worshipers, threatened to appeal in my mind. Threatened to appear in my mind, excuse me. The Psalms were especially troublesome in the way praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord with me, praise him, and why, incidentally, did praising God so often consist in telling other people to praise him? <laughs> Verse 6 is calling us to mission. We are drawing people near to us so that they would be invited to praise the Lord with us. So if you're a non-believer in this room, we get it. This looks insane. But give us a chance. We, will, we, we exist. We're doing this. A lot of reasons why we're doing this is because you're here. And we don't want to dismiss that. Two. Leads us to the second thing I want us to see here, and we'll end on this. God invites us to the great praise of his son, Jesus. I want to read from you, to you from a passage in Luke it's called the triumphal entry. You may have heard of it. One week before Jesus is going to, excuse me, five days before Jesus is going to die, a week before his resurrection. And this is how the story goes. Um, and then I'll have it on the screen as well. I'll read the first part and then I'll put the rest on the screen. So, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found, and found it, just like he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said to him, the Lord has need of it. The Lord needs it. That's, that's all we got. <laughs> and they brought it to Jesus. If anyone asks, excuse me, I was trying to this. I should have had somebody else do this. I just want to, <laughs> I thought this would help me. It didn't. Here we go, verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing, on their, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the almighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of, his, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I know what you're thinking. Is it even worth it to praise God? 
This God you speak of, is he worth praising? And the answer is yes. God has done great things in Jesus. When you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, God at the right time sent Jesus. Who did what Psalm 150 is inviting us to. He praised God in every way, through his life, through his death, on an old rugged cross, and through his glorious and praiseworthy resurrection. When we were lost and wandering about, Jesus came down from the comfort seat of the throne and met us. When we long for the approval or standing that we long for, God looks at us, and because of the great deeds of Jesus, he looks at you and me and he says, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. There is nothing, nothing that we can long for that God has not purchased for but with the blood of his son. We don't have to wonder what to praise him for. We can look to Jesus. We don't have to be in the dark about what he's done. We can look to Jesus. We don't, have to, we don't need to praise other things like money, success, relationships, or other people. We can look to Jesus. We don't have to wonder what he is like. We can look to Jesus. Are you hurting? You can find healing at the foot of the cross. Are you lonely? You can find a friend at the cross. Are you in this room and you don't know why you're here? You can find purpose at the foot of the cross. So where does this all go? We can run to Jesus. There we will find joy for eternity, and as a result, we will praise God. So where should we praise? Ultimately, in the presence of Jesus. Why should we praise? Because of the finished work of Jesus. How should we praise? With everything Jesus has given us. And who should praise? Everything that has breath given to them by the one who breathed his last and said it is finished. Should praise Jesus. I want to close with a hymn by Isaac Watts. It's called A Song of Praise, written um, after, with the inspiration of Psalm 150, and it goes like this. In God's own house, pronounce his praise. His grace he there reveals. To heaven your joy and wonder raise, for there his glory dwells. Let all your sacred passions move while you rehearse his deeds but the great work of saving love your highest praise exceeds. All that have motion, life, and breath proclaim your maker blessed. Yet when my voice expires in death, my soul shall praise him best. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for giving us breath in our lungs. Thank you for giving us every reason to give you praise in Jesus. We admit and we confess that we want to use the gifts that you give us to praise other things. We ask that now you would turn our gaze back to you. Help us to repent of the ways that we praise and worship other things. Replace our desires to worship other things with a desire for your name to be known to the ends of the earth. Maybe there's the people in this room that wouldn't say they're a believer. Jesus, would you draw them close? Comfort those who are hurting. 
hold close the lonely, speak to us in a powerful way as we long to give you all the glory for all of these things. Holy Spirit, remind us of the great work of Jesus. We are prone to forget, so even now, we ask that you would point us back to the finished work on our behalf, on the old rugged cross of Jesus, the one who has accomplished the things for which we praise him now. Amen.